Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. All this month, we are revisiting the programs that you've let us know are your favorites from the past year. Today, Lonnie Shipman will share insight into music, music in Bible and church history, and music in the heavens. As we're getting closer to the Christmas season, be sure and visit the gifts section of our website, swrc.com. Gifts from Israel, as well as books and DVDs that will inform and encourage your family and friends. Visit swrc.com today. That's swrc.com. Now, here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargibino and Lonnie Shipman. Did you know the stars sing praise to God? Job 38 verse 7 says, The morning stars sang together, and the sons of God shouted for joy. I have before me a new book titled Heaven's Orchestra. The author, Lonnie Shipman, is with me in the studio. Lonnie, thank you for coming to Oklahoma City, and thank you for your book. Well, thank you so much. It's a great honor to be with you here. You know, your book is a unique combination of several of your areas of expertise, biblical music history, the gospel, scientific information on the pre-flood world, and the music of the universe. So could you tell us about your new book and how you came up with this multifaceted concept? Well, it was an unusual situation for me. I was speaking to Dr. Carl Baugh of the Evidence Museum of Texas, and he said, they're hearing sounds of the stars, and they're recording these sounds of the stars from space. Could you take the sounds of the stars and make a recording of the Hallelujah Chorus? Well, I never even thought of such a thing. I thought, what a large project to try to do. But I thought, I'll attempt it. So I worked on it. It wasn't possible because there are not enough long, sustained tones. But instead, I made another DVD for him of stars praising God using some of these sounds. From this, he said, okay, we need a book explaining these things. And that's how the book came about. Mm. You say that your mother taught you piano and how to live and grow as a Christian. So... Tell us about your background in music and the combination of learning piano from your mom and how to live as a Christian. How did the two go together? I personally grew up in a pastor's home. My father was a pastor altogether, 67 years. My mother, a pastor's wife, and she taught in a Bible college for 20 years, had a piano. So I started piano at four with mom and progressed to collegiate level piano by third grade. She was my teacher primarily until I started winning international competitions in piano. Then they sent me to another specialist. But my mother also was a very dedicated Christian, as her mother was. Her mother had trained her, and then she trained me, of course, and my other brothers and sisters to really live for God, even more than anyone else in the family. And I found it was wonderful to be able to use music and to live a godly life at the same time as a witness for the Lord. That is so wonderful because I know several Christians who have musical ability, and they sometimes we think that music and Christianity don't go. But you have a section in your book on the biblical principles of art. Tell us about what's special and what does the Bible have to say about art, about music? All of that I think is so important because God is the creator, and God makes everything beautiful. I know Edith Schaefer— Edith Schaefer used to say, you know, we're created in the image of God, 
And if that's so, God has created everything beautiful, so we should be involved in music and art. And I agree with Edith Schaefer, and I love Francis Schaefer. So tell us how this all fits together. Well, she actually had a book on music, too, you may know, Forever Music, I believe it was called. I was looking at these things about how we can use our music for God and saw that God teaches that even with Bezalel that made the tabernacle, he was given special ability and talent to make these articles of the tabernacle. Like a jeweler would make fine pieces of jewelry. He made the Ark of the Covenant, many pieces of gold and silver and things for the tabernacle. And the Bible says he was given special ability. It tells us this is in Exodus 36 and Exodus 35 and 34. Here God said, I have called, I have filled, and I have given to all men able ability. And here we see God gave Bezalel ability, in, in doing this art, and he gave him a special intelligence, gave him knowledge, craftsmanship, and then he used it for teaching. And I thought, isn't it interesting that we see the same things with art as music? God also gives us talents and ability, and we have to study, of course, piano or whatever part of music you're studying to do as your very best for the Lord, but then God enables us later to even teach others. I have a music background, as you know, and I think when I was saved, the Lord put a song in my heart, really, because knowing Jesus is such a beautiful experience. And I think beauty is something that's beyond being able to convey with words. It's an experience, and knowing Jesus is an experience. And so you have that wonderful gift, that ability to play Chopin, Beethoven, sacred music. Tell us about your piano playing. Well, I was first trained as anyone would be in starting piano, and then gradually I enjoyed classical piano, so I learned most of the classics, you might say. As you mentioned, these composers, Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, later Romantic composers, Chopin, Franz Liszt, and Rachmaninoff. And then I also learned hymn arranging through my mother. She was involved in both hymn playing and church techniques as well as classical music. And later then, my mother was already arranging hymns, and I thought, would it be nice to create take some of the great classical pieces and combine them with hymns. And then after I was called to preach, I started using this as outreach to draw people to come hear a concert of the show pieces of classical music and include the hymns. They might know the classical piece of Beethoven, but they may not know the hymn, how great they worked. And so then I would be able to tell them the story of Jesus and give them the gospel when they came to hear the music. I think that's so wonderful because I think even children, they appreciate music. When you communicate in that way and tell them about the Lord, it's just a way of getting into their hearts. And that's what we need to do. You know, we're not just speaking to the head. That's important. We have to be able to read and think and so on and so forth. But music opens the heart. It opens the mind. And if you are a born-again believer, my, I think there's no limit to your evangelistic abilities, how you communicate with people. Exactly, like you just said. First, the music, as you said, is a result of a song in our heart, as it tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, where we're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You have this song bursting out. You're so thrilled about the Lord. But also, anyone around the world actually relates to music. So it's a wonderful evangelism tool. And I've been able to travel myself to 27 countries on 31 international tours, telling people, often I don't know the language, we have to use translators, but they understand piano, the music, and they can hear that, and then we explain the the hymns to them through translators, and they hear the gospel, and it's a wonderful way to tell them about Jesus. I pastor a Chinese church in Oklahoma City, and I know a lot of Chinese folks, and one of the things that is, I think, very interesting about Chinese people, 
Every child learns violin or piano, whether they're going on for a PhD in biology or biochemistry or whatever. So there's a connection. I really believe that God has great plans for China. China has a great Christian history. And one of the amazing things about that is if you know something about music, it's a way of connecting with them. And I think so many times Christians have thought of, well, the arts, that's kind of highbrow. But no, it's not. It's beauty. It's what God has done, what God has said. I think you're a very expressive person, and I know why. You're a musician, and you're a Christian. Well, that's very kind of you. China, as a country, of course, it's an Eastern country, and they're not used to our Western styles of music, even the Western concepts of many of the things we think. So their curve music is built on pentatonic scales, different kinds of chord systems and all this. But yet, even when it was first introduced by missionaries in, in the 19th century, the Chinese loved music. Then later when the communists came, they outlawed Western music completely. They could not ever hear any classical music, especially Beethoven or anything like that, was outlawed. Then in the 1990s, they decided to try to make an impact in the Western world, and so they started specifically emphasizing people learning classical music. Suddenly, it's now a burst of excitement throughout the Far East, especially China. Classical music is more popular there than even in Europe now, it seems. And they say that's where it's continuing to grow faster than anywhere else. So even it's interesting, even though they don't have the same culture, the same history background we might have with classical music, that kind of music of the classical composers relates to people all over the world, and it opens their hearts to enjoy beauty and art, like you're saying. But then because they have that heart opening, we can give them the gospel at the same time. You have a section in your book. It's on page 44. What is biblical worship? People have worship wars today. There's a lot of wars in churches. So you raise the question and answer it. You say, when examining the biblical subject of worship, which seems to be a common concept for believers, worship seems to be difficult to define. And you give a couple of definitions. So oh, I've, what I've is seen worship? something like 45 or 50 uh, yes. different definitions, all sometimes radically different from each other. And you read famous speakers, and sometimes they don't agree with each other on worship. It seemed to be difficult to find someone who could say it very concisely and get thoroughly. And so I put about six or eight different definitions here, trying to get at the really the most important part. Scott Aniel has a clear and simple definition, saying worship is a spiritual response to God as a result of understanding biblical truth about God. Mm-hmm. So you hear the truth of the Word of God, and then you respond immediately spiritually. You explain it so marvelously in your book, but you relate music and praise to the attributes of God, oh, yes. His oh. eternality, His omnipotence. In other words, good theology and good music go together, because if you know who God is, as he's revealed in the Word of God, then you can sing about that, you can speak about that. Some of the great Reformation hymns, they're so, uh, you know, a mighty fortress is our God, so on and so forth. So I see a connection between good Christian music and the Bible and theological truth about our Heavenly Father, about the Trinity, about his love, about his grace. 
Exactly. In the book, I explain how that the praise especially is based upon God and his attributes. And then I give about 15 verses, and each verse I shall hear first, each of these 15 verses talk about God, God personally, some attribute of God or some ability he has. Then next I show in the same verses, here's the acts of God, how he saves or protects or, or helps in some way. We see this constantly about praise, so it's all biblically based. And we should be careful that our worship and praise stays biblical and not bringing in the worldly sense. We stay completely dedicated to Christ and all we do. And by emphasizing the old hymns of the faith, we're also emphasizing great theology. They're full of the Bible. They said that when the revivals came, many of these hymns were written as a result of the revivals, and the preaching was the fire that ignited people's hearts. But that fire was fueled with the hymns of the faith. You know, I think it's very obvious that the creation shows design. I mean, just to think that all of this happened by accident, I think, is ludicrous. And you talk about cosmic design, biologic design, electromagnetic design, symbiotic design, and joyous design. So how, for example, do we find design in musical overtones and in the harmonic structures of music, the diatonic scale, for example, the Aeolian scale, the Dorian scale, they're all mathematical. There are proportions there. Tell us a little bit about overtones, the science of sound, and how music embodies that. Some people think that any kind of sound is music, but it's very clear the Bible talks about the melody, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And these are based upon basic concepts that everyone used to understand, melody and harmony and rhythm. Now they are trying to say that any sound is music, but we know that scientifically, music is actually made of a bass tone which has higher sounding tones we sometimes call overtones. And they go in a mathematical relationship, as you were just saying. They end up making, if you hit one bass note, one low note in a melody, it makes a series of higher notes, typically as many as 64 higher notes. And that would spell out what we would think of as our major chords today in music. Really, specifically, the minor two, five, and then one chord. It's really the three chords you hear at the beginning and the end of almost all of our music, such as the song, Three Blind Mice. It starts out, Three Blind Mice, and it goes through the little song. It ends again, Three Blind Mice. The chords that go, which is so simple, little notes, are the three basic chords of all music. And we hear it all over the world. So when you sing these kind of things, people relate to it. What's also interesting is if you sing something a little off, people notice they can hear a wrong note. Now, I thought that was fascinating as a little kid because I would watch other children learning music, and I myself started early, but some people who didn't have any musical background could still hear the wrong note. And I thought, how could they do that? They didn't study Mozart like I did, but they still can hear because this is the way God made us and the way God made music all over the world. I used to play in the high school orchestra. Music was very good for me because I was not a Christian then. And I think the fact that I was in the orchestra and the band it was very good for me. And I think it's so good for so many teenagers. I think bands and orchestras in high school are very, very important. But I noticed if the orchestra is in tune, if the violins are in tune with one another, it's loud and clear. But if one is a little out of tune with the other, or like the strings of a piano, if they're not all properly tuned, there's not a clarity. So when we have that perfect tonality, then it rings true, then it pierces, then it penetrates. And so I think, you know, we're reminded of overtones, how they can fight each other 
or how they are consonant. There's a difference between consonants and dissonance, and I think it has to do with the overtones. Mm -hmm. Well, even really, to be honest with you, probably Joshua mentioned this to Moses. Moses was coming down, and they had the golden calf. They were worshiping, and Joshua heard an uncertain sound of the camp, a sound of war. He wasn't sure what it was. And Moses said, no, it's the sound of singing I hear. He noticed he knew immediately, but it wasn't the right kind of singing, the wrong kind of singing. And he wanted to point them to the correct kind of music. He knew immediately when he heard it, it was something wrong. He did not know at first they were worshiping the golden calf, but he saw that later when he came down and saw these results of the sin. Well, Lonnie, thank you so much for being our guest. It's been a great blessing, and we're going to have you back, and we will continue our discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much. It's been a great honor. We have more from Lonnie Shipman on Heaven's Orchestra coming up on our next program. Hearing sounds from outer space, scientists have discovered that stars can sing. When God created the earth and universe, he tells us in Job 38.7, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So what does God teach us about music? Find out in Lonnie Shipman's book, Heaven's Orchestra. In these pages, you'll learn about music in Bible history, music in church history, music in the ancient past, and music in the heavens. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order Heaven's Orchestra on our website, swrc.com. Does music have a moral character? What does creation have to do with music? You'll find fascinating insights and a surprising journey as you look at music in the Bible. Learn how all creation praises the Lord. Heaven's Orchestra by Lonnie Shipman. Heaven's Orchestra makes a wonderful Christmas gift. Order today when you call 1-800-652-1144. Christmas means spending time with family, family that may not know the Lord. Larry Stam is here, ready to help us share our faith this holiday season with confidence and with love. Shalom, friends. Larry Stam here. So glad you're joining us as we continue our teaching series, Serving in His Court, Biblical Principles for Personal Evangelism from the Heart of a Coach. In our past few lessons, we have spoken about the spiritual war as it pertains to our witness for Jesus Christ. And we have spoken about the opposition within namely the old man or our flesh. We've talked about the opposition from without, namely Satan and his minions and the world system. We've talked about the fact that the enemy will seek to condemn us, to oppose us at every turn, to create fear in us, to keep us from opening our mouths. Today we're going to talk about Satan's scorched earth strategy. And hang in there with me. I want you to know that we have victory in Christ, and we're going to talk about the victory a little bit later on in this teaching. But we need to finish up and talk about Satan, his minions, and their strategy to keep us from sharing the gospel with people. I call your attention to Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, the parable of the soils. Jesus will talk about the fact that Satan will snatch away the word of God before it takes root in an unbeliever's heart. We read from the Word of God in Matthew 13, verse 18, these words, Jesus speaking, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. In addition to Satan snatching away the word of God before it takes root in an unbeliever's heart, the enemy also seeks to blind the mind of unbelievers. As the Apostle Paul penned in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Sometime back when I was on staff at a church in the Tri-Cities area in Tennessee, a gentleman called, I'll call his name Chet, Chet had found out about our church and wanted to meet with me and and chat with me about Jesus. And I met him at a local coffee shop, and I opened up the Word of God with him, and Chet told me, he said, you know, I'm interested in Jesus. He said, but I want to tell you I'm a Wiccan. And I said, that's not a problem, but I want you to understand, Chet, we're in the middle of a spiritual war. I proceeded to share the gospel with him, and I just felt compelled to share a little bit from Ephesians chapter 6. And I let him know that Chet, you're searching. You're opening up the Word of God. I shared the gospel from the Gospel of John, and I also let him know and apprised him of the fact that he would be opposed, that he might hear voices in his head going, Larry's an idiot. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. This is pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's not true. So I had a chance to meet with Chet and sow some gospel seed, and the next time I called him, I met with him one time. The next time I called him, there was no answer. I tried a few times, there was no answer. Then a few days later, the line was disconnected. And you go, well, you know, people disconnect lines all the time. But there was a part of me, friend, that thought to myself, you know, I wonder if there was spiritual opposition going on somewhere in that interaction between me and Chet, the Wiccan. I never got a chance to speak to that man again about Christ, but I did have an opportunity to sow gospel seed and point him to the Word of God, where the truth of God resides and where the gospel message can be found. So we've talked about Satan's scorched earth strategy. I mentioned a little bit about how he desires to take away the Word of God when it's presented to people, how he seeks to blind the mind of unbelievers. But I want to close our time by sharing some positives about the spiritual war, namely the fact that you and I are victorious as Christians. God has given us the victory over the opposition. Remember Jesus said on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished. When Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the third day, he defeated the power of sin and death. Salvation was accomplished. Victory was won because that tomb is empty. And if you remember also in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the Lord said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So friend, in light of those truths, those marvelous truths, let us walk in the manner in which we've been called, which is victory. I want to share a little story with you about victory as it pertains to prayer and overcoming the opposition. Years ago, as a missionary with a ministry called Jews for Jesus, I was helping lead an evangelistic campaign in the Denver, Boulder, Colorado area. One night, we were at the Pearl Street Mall. I had a group of people with me in pairs. We prayed. We prayed before we went out on this pedestrian walkway. We prayed, God, 
just open up hearts and minds and help us to bring the gospel message and move in people's hearts and bring about salvation. We prayed a prayer for 30 seconds or a minute, and we went on our way, came back about an hour and a half later, and we had gotten stonewalled in a spiritual sense. People were not taking our evangelistic literature. They were not open to getting in conversation. And it was a discouraging time of outreach, to be honest. And then it hit me. I realized we were being opposed spiritually. We needed to do a little bit more than just give a brief 30 to 60 second prayer to God. So the next time we went there, I went a few days later, took another team of six to eight people and gathered around in pairs. And this time I said, we're going to prayer walk this entire pedestrian walkway, the entire outreach. So two people, 20 minutes, you're not engaging anybody. You're not handing out literature. You're only going to pray. And then after you're done, another pair will prayer walk. And guess what happened at the end of that outreach? After about 90 minutes or so, we got together and it was a completely different story. People were open. People were taking our literature. They were wanting more information about Jesus. Friends, the power of prayer, the victory we have by imploring the living God to work on our behalf, to give us victory, to open up hearts and minds and spirits, to do the work only the Spirit can do. That was a wonderful night. Hope that's been an encouragement to you, friends. Yes, we're living on a battleground, not on a playground, but we have the victory in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to walk in the manner in which you've been called today and I have been called as Christians. We've been called to walk in victory. Friends, next time we're going to continue to talk about our victory in Jesus Christ in our witness for him. And until next time, the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Shalom. What does God teach us about music? Find out in Lonnie Shipman's book, Heaven's Orchestra. In these pages, you'll learn about music in Bible history, in church history, music in the ancient past, and music in the heavens. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Hearing sounds from outer space, scientists have discovered that stars can sing. When God created the earth and universe, he tells us in Job 38:7, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. What does God teach us about music? Find out in Lonnie Shipman's book, Heaven's Orchestra. In these pages, you'll learn about music in Bible history, music in church history, music in the ancient past, and music in the heavens. Order your copy of Heaven's Orchestra today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order on our website, swrc.com. Does music have a moral character? What does creation have to do with music? You'll find fascinating insights and a surprising journey as you look at music in the Bible. Learn how all creation praises the Lord. Heaven's Orchestra by Lonnie Shipman. Heaven's Orchestra makes a wonderful Christmas gift, so order today when you call 1-800-652-1144. Friends, if you have a prayer need, would you let us pray for you? We consider it an honor to pray with you. Prayer requests come in from all over the country through the mail, on the phone, and now through a special email address, prayer at swrc.com. That's prayer at swrc.com. 
or you can always just give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, we'll have part two of Heaven's Orchestra with Lonnie Shipman. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.